0: Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the Book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in the self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan.
1: Hello to you once again, and welcome to our uh, podcast and our study of the Bible. I think that teaching the Bible is the most wonderful thing that anybody can ever do. And I'm recording this just before... Easter, this is during Passion Week, and you may be listening to it afterwards, but one song has been on my mind all week, and it's the great Easter Anthem by Charles Wesley. Christ the Lord is risen today. I feel like this is a song that every church around the world should sing on Easter Sunday. I know that I'm a little prejudiced about the hymns. I love the new music too. But we simply cannot lose the great traditional songs that have been passed down. And in the case of Christ the Lord is Risen Today, it's been around since 1739. And I hope that you sang it at your church, and I'm certainly singing it in my heart. And it's part of the tradition's and the richness of the hymns and the quality of the teaching from the pulpit that makes a church very strong. There's a lot of emphasis today on making the church wider and bigger, and we'll deal with that today. But we've also got to have depth in our churches. No one knows the full impact of this global plague, the COVID virus on the American church. I think during this quarantine, many people began watching worship services online, and that's far different from being a live participant in an actual gathering of Christians. I know that many turned on to online services from other churches that were not their own. In fact, I myself did that on occasion. And it's possible that many nominal Christians, or I should say nominal church scores in America, have gotten into the habit of not going to church. Uh, On the other hand, maybe it's possible that many non-Christians in America were drawn to the gospel during this time and through the technology that our churches have accomplished. The way that church is done and the way that church ministries are accomplished uh, are always changing, but there are some things that don't change, and the Bible gives us an incredible portrait of one New Testament church that serves as a model. This just about looks like the best church in the New Testament. Uh, Nothing negative is said about it, although I'm sure that it has weaknesses and failures. And there is one interesting aspect to it that shows some division, which I'll bring up. But it's an excellent pattern, model, and a great congregation for us to emulate. And this is the church in Antioch. I want to begin today, or continue today, the series... Uh, called Unstoppable Expositions from the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible with me, then turn to the book of Acts chapters 11 and 13. There is an interruption in the story in chapter 12, but I want to go to Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 and read the uh, remainder of that chapter with you. And then we'll look at some verses in Acts chapter 13. So, in your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 11, beginning with verse 19. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however... Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad First, at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Well, as I said, the next chapter, Acts 12, is an interruption to the story. Acts 12 really is the one final chapter in the book devoted to Peter, and it gives him a graceful exit from the storyline in the book of Acts. From this point on, the attention is going to be on the ministry of the Apostle Paul, And then the narrative regarding the church of Antioch resumes in Acts 13 with these three verses. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now before I give you an outline of what I think this church is like, let's talk about the city of Antioch. I was a little surprised when I reached th- researched this to learn that in the days of the New Testament, Antioch was one of the largest churches or rather one of the largest cities on earth. Uh, I don't think most people really know that unless they have a very intimate knowledge of the geography of the Roman Empire. Rome was the largest city in the days of the New Testament. Uh, It was the biggest city the world had ever seen. It had an estimated population of perhaps a million people. And after that, there was Alexandria and Athens, And the fourth largest city was the city of Antioch. It was on the original trade routes and only about 15 miles from the Mediterranean Sea, situated on a river that led down to the sea. And so it was close enough to the Mediterranean coast to have a sea trade, but it was far enough away from the Mediterranean coast to keep it safe from naval assault. It was a walled city, we're told, with four major gates, a teeming city surrounded by fertile agricultural lands and fields and forests and orchards and vineyards. It was just ideally uh, situated. I read an article, one article about it from a museum that said, quote, commerce thrived in Antioch and consumers could buy an endless supply of goods in all parts of the city. Women and children filled earthenware water jars to the brim at the plentiful public fountains. In addition, jugglers and acrobats performed wherever they could gather a crowd. Beggars danced and played the pipe, and philosophers and orators gave great lectures. Uniformed soldiers were also positioned everywhere, keeping unruly citizens and visitors at bay. Antioch enjoyed public street lighting, which was unusual during this period, and the city bustled well until midnight. The article went on to say, The new Roman emperors, beginning with Augustus, decided to transform Antioch physically. Augustus enlarged the theater, lined the main street with famous double colonnades, and built temples to Roman gods and installed statues of their likenesses. Other emperors favored the city by building palaces, public baths, circuses, and an amphitheater. Under Roman protection, Antioch continued to flourish on all fronts, Soon after the arrival of the Romans, Christianity became a very important factor that shaped the life and culture of the city, Antioch was called the Athens of the Near East, and about the time of the writing here in Luke's uh, Luke's Book of Acts, the Olympic Games at Antioch were started, which became some of the most famous athletic events in the world. And so Antioch was a very desirable city in its day if you want to know its location it was about 250 miles right up the coast from israel and the location today is in southern turkey very close to the syrian border and as i said a few miles from the mediterranean coast as i was researching this i discovered that a new hotel has just been opened called the museum hotel and it hovers the architecture is designed so that it hovers over some of the ruins of ancient antioch perhaps where some of these events took place and you can look down through the glass floors and see these ruins it's sort of a combination hotel and museum well years ago i spoke to some church planters who had gathered in istanbul And one of them came up to me in great excitement and told me that he was planting a church in this very city. Today it's called Antakya, and it's still a very large city, but it's a Muslim city with very little Christian presence, except, I suppose, for this church planter who, in this very difficult region right now, not far from the Syrian border, uh, is or at least was trying to reestablish a church in this ancient city of Antioch. One other factor, in the time of the book of Acts, Antioch had a very large Jewish population. People were fleeing Israel because of the growing Roman threat and so many of them went up 250 miles up the coast to this city of Antakia or Antioch. Well, i tell you all of that because I think it's helpful to try to get a visual picture of the things the Bible talks about. So let me give you several characteristics of this church in Antioch, which to me are very interesting and it's very helpful to know as we seek to build our own churches. And the first thing is there were twin churches in this city. There were two different churches, and how they got along, well, I don't really know. The text here Luke doesn't tell us. but Let's go back, if you'll turn with me to chapter 8 of the book of Acts. The entirety of chapter 7 is devoted to Stephen. And Stephen was the first martyr. He was stoned to death in a tremendous riot and uprising, which had been building for several years against Christians. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day a great persecution broke down against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then the text goes on to tell us about how Philip uh, went to Samaria and how he went down to Gaza. And then chapter 9 is devoted largely to bringing Saul of Tarsus into the picture and show how during this persecution he was converted on his way to Damascus. And chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius, who um, comes to the Lord Jesus in Caesarea and establishes a church among the Gentiles there under the ministry of Peter. And then after that, we come back to the storyline in chapter 11 and verse 9. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Spreading the word only among Jews. So these were Jewish believers. These were people who had grown up uh very Jewish. They had uh they observed circumcision, they were keeping the Jewish uh calendar and the Sabbath day and the holy day, Yom Kippur and The Festival of Tabernacles and the Passover, and all of the other festivals. They were keeping the Jewish dietary standards, and they viewed Christianity as the fulfillment, really, of Judaism and really inseparable from Judaism. Uh, It wasn't in their thinking yet that Christianity or the church could be something that was separate from Judaism. They thought that a person in coming to Christ would also embrace many of these tenets of Judaism. So it says again in verse 19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. But now look at verse 20. Some of them, however, another group of Christians, not from Judea, but from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So these people went to Greek-speaking, non-Jewish Gentiles in Antioch, probably in a different, adjacent part of the city, and they started preaching the gospel, and their message was that You don't have to become a Jew to be a Christian and you don't have to keep the Jewish dietary habits and you don't have to embrace circumcision or the Jewish calendar. You can come to Christ by grace and through faith. And so this church was started. So in Antioch, there were twin churches. We would say almost like two different denominations. There was the Messianic Jewish church and there was the Gentile church. Well, it was not long after this that an incident happened in the book of Galatians and chapter two. And this shows us a little bit of the tension that must have been there between these two groups of believers, these two churches. Now this was before the Jewish council in Acts chapter 15 that really tackled the uh, issue of what it means to be a Christian and can Gentiles be converted. So. We're at a point now where this is a live contention in the early church. Do you have to become a Jewish Christian or can you just be a Christian? So Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch. So Peter came up to see what was happening in Antioch, and Paul said, I opposed him to his face. For before certain men came from James, He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Well, this James was the half-brother of Jesus who was the head of the church in Jerusalem. He stayed there even after the persecution and he was very Jewish and he was very slow about coming to embrace the Gentile church, and so Peter went up, and when he first got there because of his experience with Cornelius and his understanding that nothing and no one is unclean, then he would fellowship easily with both groups. One night he would go to eat with the Gentile church and the other night with the Jewish church, but when there was a delegation that came up from Jerusalem sent by James, then Peter said, well, I don't want to shake up the apple cart. And so he sort of stayed away from the Gentile church and just hung out with the Jews. And Peter really lit into him over that. So all of this is to say that even though this church in Antioch seems to have been a wonderful, healthy, strong church, there were really two different denominations, two different churches here, the Baptist and the Presbyterians, we might say. And uh, there was, I think, an emerging sense of fellowship among them. But they had to work on it, it wasn't very easy. And and so that leads to the second thing that we might notice about this church and that it was well led. They had some good leaders that came and these good leaders helped to bridge the division. So let's go back to uh, chapter number 13 or chapter number, well, let me find it here, 11. And verse 19. It says, Now those who had scattered abroad by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among the Jews. But some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So a great number of Gentiles. This was really a growing church. So verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of what God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all, both Jew and Gentile, to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So Barnabas, we know, was a tremendous peacemaker. He was a son of encouragement. He actually was a Jew who was from Cyprus. So he knew the church in Jerusalem very well, his sister lived there and had a large house there, and he was a member of the church and apparently sold a piece of land, as we saw earlier in the book of Acts, and gave it. But he was also from Cyprus, where these people had come from, who had evangelized the uh, Gentiles, so he was the perfect one to step in and to begin to reconcile and unify and make peace between the two groups. And it says in verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So we haven't seen Paul for over ten years. It's true that he came to the Lord only the chapter a couple of chapters before. but after his conversion, he went back to his home, and ten years have passed, and he was there learning and growing and receiving revelations from the Lord and preaching locally uh, in his area, which wasn't all that far away, and Barnabas apparently had kept up with him. And so Barnabas went, and it was time to really recruit Saul into an official position in the Church of Antioch. So it says, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So this church had well-matured leadership that brought them together. Now, I can't tell you how important this is. A healthy church has healthy, mature leaders who engender unity. They know how to take the older people and the younger people. They know how to take those who love the hymns and those who love contemporary music. They know how to take diverse groups, uh, including racial groups or ethnic groups, Uh, They know how to bring those with different theological positions and to teach them in such a way that maturity develops and the church is unified. I have a very strong belief that the exposition of Scripture and the teaching of Scripture builds up a church and gives it a foundation for unity. Now, every church should have evangelistic emphases, and this church certainly did. I mean, it says that large numbers of people came to the Lord. But I think the pulpit ministry here that Pastor Barnabas and the associate pastor Saul had was a pastor it was a ministry of teaching the people the Word of God, teaching them the doctrines of the faith, teaching them sound theology, teaching them what the prophet Isaiah and other prophets in the Old Testament scriptures that they had available had to say about the Christian movement and it was under the solid teaching of scripture that the church was built up. We need church planters but boy do we ever need expositors and I think that Paul and Barnabas here were peacemakers because they were expositors, and because they were expositors, the church grew in numbers, and because of that, there was unity. There was a depth that was added to it. There are some churches that have all depth but no width. They, the people there are very, very mature, but they don't really have an outward-focused ministry. There are other churches that are all about evangelism and evangelistic sermons and getting the gospel out and winning people to Christ. But there is not a solid expositional pulpit ministry that gives depth to the people. And it is so critical to have this balance. And we see it here in the church in Antioch. Now, out of this well-led maturity came a Christ-like uh, demeanor and, and personality to the church. And so we're told in verse number 26, the disciples were called Christians, first in Antioch. This is where that phrase, that word, was coined. It means Christ's ones. These converts, both Jews and Gentiles, who I think under the teaching ministry of Paul and Barnabas were being unified and brought together and matured and resulting in a growing church. This church was growing so that people looked at these Christians in Antioch and said they are Christ-like. And one of the things we've got to remember is that the Christian life, as we call it, is simply the life of being miniature portraits of the full-sized Jesus Christ. Well, another thing we can learn about this church is that it was generous So it says in verse 27, during this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. This was before the New Testament was given. Uh, Up to this point, probably no New Testament books were in existence and there was still some prophetic gift such as we had in the Old Testament. And so one of these prophets Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius in the AD 40s. So this is probably 10 to 15 years after Pentecost. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. So they took up an offering and they sent it down to Jerusalem And they sent their gift to the elders, that is to the leaders of the Jerusalem church by Barnabas and Saul. The church in Judea was impoverished. As we saw earlier, they'd given much of what they owned away and then of course the famine here that was predicted. And Paul, had this as part of his ongoing ministry we see even later in his missionary journeys his raising money among the gentile churches to bring to Judea this was his great humanitarian project in his life i think also by collecting money from the gentile churches and bringing it to the judean church in jerusalem he was seeking to help unify the jews and the gentiles you know stubborn leadership that wants its own way, seldom unifies. But when you have maturity and you have people saying, how can we bring about unity, generational unity, ethnic uh, unity, racial unity, economic uh, unity between various classes, Um, how can we do this? Then, well, that is what we need. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. And here, every single member, if you take this literally, all of these Christians in Antioch, as each one was able, they gave and they provided help. So a mature Christian is also a generous Christian. Now we have the interruption in chapter 12 where we have one final story about Peter and then he makes its exit from the book of Acts and we get back to Antioch. And one last thing in chapter 13. So let's review. You have this great city of Antioch and in it, two different churches, Gentile and Jews that could have been at each other's throat, but they had healthy leadership in the form of Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul. Uh, Barnabas was still the leading spokesman here. Uh, later, Paul would sort of um, become the prominent one, but. Paul is still learning at the feet of Barnabas, and so they have good member good leadership this leadership brings about maturity, the maturity brings about unity, the unity brings about further evangelization and generosity and it says in chapter thirteen verse one, now in the church of Antioch there were prophets and teachers the gifts of these people begin to develop. And you had people who were prophetic in their ministries, and you had teachers, and some of them are listed. Barnabas is first, and then Simeon called Niger. And the word Niger literally means black. And this was an African individual, so this was a biracial church. And Lucius, of Cyrene, and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He was a man with strong political connections, rather well-known. We know something about him in antiquity. And finally, Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "'Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them.' So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off." This is a critical moment in all of Christian history, for this is the first church-based, church-sponsored missionary effort. Now, evangelism has been taking place in the book of Acts for 12 chapters. It is spontaneous evangelism. As Christians go everywhere, they cannot help but to speak of what they know and what they've learned and received. But now for the first time, we have a local congregation deciding that it is going to finance an operation to the regions beyond and send people to evangelize where they have not been invited, but where they are going sent by the local church to plant churches in other areas, not in other areas of Antioch, not even in other areas of Syria, but in other areas of the world and the regions beyond. And so here you have a church that became the basis for all of our missionary efforts that are organized and systematic and financed through and by local churches. And this first missionary journey is a fascinating thing. We'll look at that in future episodes. So let me review here. In this fourth largest city of the Roman Empire, you had Christians from Jerusalem who went up and they established a church among the Jews. You had others from Cyprus and other regions that went and they established a church among the Gentiles. There was clearly a division here, as we see in the book of Galatians chapter 2, Peter got caught up in that, but... The Lord gave this church leadership that knew how to bring people together. And especially this great son of encouragement named Barnabas. And he recruited Saul as his assistant. And as they taught the word of God, week in and week out, and they were expositional, and they were Bible-based. Then unity began to grow, and maturity began to grow, and other people began to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the church spread, and it grew there in Antioch, and there was a greater degree of unity, and there came to be real generosity and a willingness to give financially. And after a certain amount of time of this kind of inner and external growth, then the Lord said, you are the church that i want to choose to establish the era of organized missions. And they took Saul and Barnabas, and they sent them off as the first missionaries in this new church-based scheme of world evangelism, which we are still involved with today. So this is a church I wish I could go back in time and visit. It's a church that is the kind of church I wanna be a part of. This is a church to emulate. Well, next time we'll pick it up and I wanna go into this first missionary journey. I've learned so much about it. I just think this book of Acts is fascinating in every way. And I hope that you've enjoyed these studies and will follow along with me. In the meantime, let me just say in closing that today, um, this is a sort of a day of celebration for me. After years of wanting to do this, I finished the manuscript and sent it to my publisher on the 50 final events in world history. It is my understanding of the book of revelation i think it's going to be a unique book in this area and in the area of biblical prophecy it'll be out next year so be looking for it and check out my other books and the resources we have at my website robertjmorgan.com well may the lord god himself sanctify you through and through and may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who called you is faithful, and he will do it, and God be with you until we meet again.